We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. About 9% of the U.S. population, nearly 30 million Americans, will have an eating disorder in their lifetime, according to the Harvard University School of Public Health. And more than 10,000 people die each year as a result of disordered eating. But symptoms can be hard to recognize. To help educate the public, the Renfrew Center, a clinic whose primary focus is treating eating disorders, has launched a campaign called We've Got the Power. It's happening this week through March 5th in conjunction with Eating Disorders Awareness Week. In a few minutes, we'll hear from an alumna of Renfrew about her experience. So I wouldn't say that I finished my recovery. I'm just starting my recovery. But I know that I have all the tools that I need for doing this journey. Joining us first is Yosan Gebra Ab. She is a primary therapist at Renfrew Center. Welcome, Yosan. Hi, thank you for having me. What happens at the Renfrew Center? Um, yeah, so we offer two different programs, um, at least at our Baltimore location specifically. We offer a PHP or a day program, um, which is kind of like the length of being at school or work. Um, but just a supportive day structure uh, that you have to focus on your treatment, as well as um, an IOP, an intensive outpatient program, um, where we offer a little bit less support throughout the week, but still that focus on um, having that treatment structure and support throughout the week. And I'm sure there are many elements to it, but you know what you mean by the treatment and I don't. Can you give us some idea what actually happens? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we have a few different therapy groups throughout the day, as well as meal support um, and individual appointments such as therapy, um, nutrition appointments, psychiatry appointments, things like that throughout the week. And what is your role at the Renfrew Center? I am a primary therapist. Um, so I do both individual therapy, group therapy, and family therapy sessions sometimes as well. What are some of the most common eating disorders? Yeah, so in no particular order, I can go through some of the most common ones that we see. Um, binge eating disorder, that's typically going to be driven by cycles of dietary restriction or deprivation, as well as episodes of binge eating. Um, and sort of going back and forth between those behaviors in a cyclical nature. Um, another one is bulimia. Kind of similarly, there is um, a cyclical nature of going through the restriction and the binging episodes. Um, but with bulimia, there is an addition of a behavior called purging. That can be a few different things, such as self-induced vomiting, ex excessive use of laxatives or diuretics, um, or even obsessively exercising. Uh, I think an eating disorder that people may be pretty familiar with um, is anorexia, uh, which is essentially self-imposed uh, starvation. And when uh, we look at other specified feeding and eating disorder, um, that can typically be a mixture of any of the symptoms that were you know, previously mentioned with the other disorders but it doesn't quite seem to like neatly fall into one diagnostic category, then that's the diagnosis that may, that we may go with. 
um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's any less serious or worthy of treatment. Um, it just means that categorically there may be a bit more variation or difference in like the pattern of behaviors that we're seeing. And then the last one, which is actually quite different from the others, um, sometimes it's called ARFID, but it stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Um, this is often thought of as like extreme picky eating before people realize that it is an eating disorder. And it's usually characterized by like disturbances related to eating or feeding. Um, this can result in significant weight loss, but that's not necessarily um, the goal or the drive. Um, a lot of people with ARFID tend to report extreme sensitivity around the sensory experience of consuming food. That can be the texture, the smell, the appearance or taste of the food. And there's usually an intense fear of choking, vomiting, um, having an allergic reaction to the food or some sort of adverse consequence to that experience. What can family or friends watch for that may be signs that someone is suffering from an eating disorder? Yeah, so there are definitely a, a handful of warning signs uh, that you can look out for, um, and it'll vary depending on the disorder that the individual may have. Um, generally speaking, you might notice someone starting to obsess over food or calories, um, their body size, uh, maybe exercising habits. There may be um, new behaviors of like disappearing to the bathroom after meals. Um, maybe you're noticing that someone is starting to hide or hoard food, or maybe they're starting to eat in secret um, more often. And I think maybe another thing could be if you're noticing someone is starting to eliminate certain foods from uh, their diet or decreasing food for variety, that can be something that we kind of look out for as warning signs. How can someone who cares about them react if they see these signs? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing can be remember to, can be to remember not to take action alone. Um, if you're noticing that this is starting to become more prevalent for a loved one, um, really try to take the role um, of a support. You're going to want to try and listen with understanding and respect, trying to you know uh, address the situation with sensitivity. But the important thing is going to be encourage the person to seek professional help um, so that they can get support with the eating disorder. It's not something that we would expect family or friends um, to try and work on like individually. And are there things that can trigger an eating disorder or make someone more susceptible? Yeah, well, it definitely depends on the individual. Um, like other mental health disorders, sometimes there can be a genetic factor, um, and sometimes there can be situational factors as well. Um, we live in a culture that is very focused on um, diet culture as well as a very specific beauty standard. Um, so that focus and sort of trend towards negative body image can be an influencing factor in developing an eating disorder. Um, Another thing can be a lot of emotional distress or possibly even trauma. Um, eating disorders are called eating disorders because of the behaviors that are most noticeable. But what's really driving those behaviors tends to be the emotional distress that we can't see under the surface. Does social media play a role in this? 
Oh yeah, I think social media definitely has a part to play um, in you know the world of diet culture um, as well as perpetuating a very narrow beauty standard. Um, I think social media can also be a little bit tricky because you're getting um, a snapshot of like the best moments of people's lives and it kind of creates an unrealistic standard of how we should be feeling all the time. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Yosan Gebra Ab, primary therapist at the Renfrew Center. We're talking about what eating disorders are and how to recognize them. This is Eating Disorders Awareness Week. Is there a population more at risk of developing eating disorders? Um, I would I would say no, to be honest. I think there tends to be a stereotype around who's most likely to develop an eating disorder. Typically, that stereotype is going to be um, young, white, affluent, cisgender girls. Um, There may even be a stereotype of being um, sort of like concerningly thin. Um, Whereas what we see uh, at the Renfrew Center is that there is no discrimination based on race, body size, gender identity, age, you know, socioeconomic status. Um, Sometimes there may be sort of a disparity in who we see in treatment due to like inequities in access to healthcare. Um, I think as well as like discrimination based on body size, actually less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically classified as underweight, but because of that common idea or notion, um, that can be a barrier to people getting the treatment that they need. I'm not sure I understand. You don't get the treatment because you're too thin? You don't get the treatment because you're bigger than people expect? So what can tend to happen is that if um, there can be some some weight bias in the medical community, um, and sometimes even in the therapeutic community as well, but if people don't realize that um, you don't need to be severely underweight to be struggling with an eating disorder, um, sometimes those signs can go missed, or sometimes people may not be recommended um, the care that would be most appropriate for them. When you're treating someone with an eating disorder, what's the general approach? I mean, it's different from something like an addiction where abstinence is an option. People need to eat to live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And for a lot of people, there can be a refeeding process because they've gone from you know, not eating enough to now having to retrain their body to be able to receive an appropriate amount of nourishment. Um, So typically we work on a combination of both um, relearning um, how to have a more appropriate relationship with food, um, as well as addressing the emotional component of eating disorders. The Renfrew Center has launched an awareness campaign in conjunction with Eating Disorders Awareness Week called We've Got the Power. Tell us about some of the events coming up. Yeah, so um, the theme with We've Got the Power is really to acknowledge the effects of societal pressures both to look or live a certain way. Um, and so throughout the week, Renfrew is offering daily com- daily community events as well as social media events. Um, and we've got a bunch of information about that on our website. Um, so they range from 
um, you know, live streams on Instagram, um, art therapy groups, um, groups that are focused on advocacy, uh, different kind of topics like that, that can connect to the idea of like reclaiming your power. Yes, and thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yosan Gebra Ab is a primary therapist at the Renfrew Center. We've been talking about eating disorders, how to recognize them, and the importance of raising awareness about the illness. At the On the Record page at WIPR.org, we have a link to more information, including the online events for We've Got the Power. Short break now on the record. When we're back, we'll hear from an alumna of Renfrew who sought help just in time. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WIPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking today about the complexity of recognizing and treating eating disorders. Earlier, we heard from a therapist at the Renfrew Center, which specializes in treatment for them. They've launched a campaign called We've Got the Power to raise awareness and combat stigma around the illness. Now we're joined by Lola Morales. She's a Ph.D. candidate in astrophysics at Johns Hopkins University and an alumna of a program at the Renfrew Center. Welcome, Lola. Hi, thank you for having me. Lola, before you attended the program at Renfrew Center, what was your relationship with food? Well, my relationship with food since I was 16 years old was really damaged, really, really damaged. My eating disorder history starts when I was 16 years old. I started um, starving. I started purging my food because I was under the social pressure of needing to be thin. So that's why I started doing this behavior. And when did you realize you needed help? Actually, it took me a while to notice and realize that I needed professional help. Approximate one year ago, that's when I went to Renfrew. I since i was 16 years old as i told you i was just struggling with, with my relationship with food and i it was 10 years i'm 26 now so it was 10 long years of suffering with this eating disorder without realizing that i needed professional help so actually the first time that i called renfrew i was in the emergency room because my doctor told me to go to the emergency room because i was so weak that i couldn't do uh, my daily basis life without fainting. So the first time that I called Renfrew for help, I was in the emergency room and they were really happy that I called because that's the help that I needed. So those 10 years that you were struggling before you got help, that was partly while you were growing up in Chile and then when you came to the US also? 
Yes, that's correct. So I'm originally from Chile. That's my home country. And since I was a teenager, probably probably even younger, I dreamed about doing this PhD in astrophysics abroad. I dreamed about coming to the U.S. to study, and that was my, my dream was mostly academic. I wanted to succeed academically. So this 10 years that passed with me having this relationship with food, I was just trying to prioritize my academic life, which was a big mistake. I always put my mental health in my last priority. So that's why I didn't seek for professional help. I was just trying to succeed and trying to achieve this dream that I it finally came true. But when I moved here and I realized that I had everything that I always dreamed about, I wasn't happy. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't um, doing the things that I dreamed about doing because my body wasn't able to do those things because I was struggling with the eating disorder for almost 10 years. Talk about the program you entered at the Renfrew Center. What, yeah. what, what was that like? Yeah, so when I entered the Renfrew Center, I started with PHP program, as Yosin described, is the day program. So it was like going to school, basically, because you just go in the morning, you just stay there for most part of the day and you leave in the afternoon. So there at the program, we had some therapy sessions, some groups where we discussed some uh, different topics like about culture, about nutrition, about um, family things, it's our support. We discussed a lot of things during groups in Renfrew. And of course, we had meal support where we will have our meals with the other members of the team, the staff at Renfrew. So that was really helpful for me to start to have a better relationship with food, actually sitting there with the support that I needed having my meal. What did you learn that helped you change your relationship with food? Yeah, so one of the biggest lessons that I learned in Renfrew is that everything is temporary. So that overwhelming emotions that I feel at the moment of my mealtime when I'm about to eat, that overwhelming fear of, oh my goodness, if I eat this food, that means that I'm going to gain weight. If I gain weight, this means that no one will ever love me anymore. So this is kind of like um, the train of thought that I would follow when I, it was the time for having my meal. So that lesson of like everything will pass, this emotion will pass eventually led me to this mindset of, okay, this overwhelming emotion, this fear, it's going to pass. It's not going to be forever. And that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned to overcome my emotions is mindfulness also part of it? Yes, that's correct. So what mindfulness is about is to bring your thoughts to the present again. So when I explained to you that um, when it was my time to eat, where it was mealtime, and I was overwhelmed by these emotions that were like bringing me out of the present, mindfulness helped me to bring my mind back to the present and to stay in this moment that it's not as hard as you think, right? So uh, we learned different mindfulness techniques that went through to help me bring my mind back to the present and stop thinking about these emotions of like, if I eat this food, this means that I will gain weight. 
that will mean that nobody will ever love me anymore. This that train of thought that I told you about mindfulness helps a lot in those moments and it helps actually in the daily basis. So mindfulness is kind of like an exercise that you have to do every day. You have to train your brain to bring it back to the present. And that's why at Renfrew, we do mindfulness every day in the morning. That's Lola Morales, an alumna of the Renfrew Center. On the record on WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about her recovery from an eating disorder and her experience in programs at the Renfrew Center. This week, February 27th through March 5th, is Eating Disorders Awareness Week. How are you feeling now, Lola? Thank you for asking. I feel like I'm feeling okay. I'm I'm not going to lie to you and say that my recovery is complete. I'm happy living my life without any problem because that's not true. After finishing my program and rent through, I feel like I'm still a baby in the recovery world. There's a still uh, a process. Recovery is a long process and it's a journey that you live uh, for many years of your life. So I wouldn't say that I finished my recovery. I'm just starting my recovery. But I know that I have all the tools that I need for doing this journey. And those tools uh, I learned and ran through. Most of your family is in Chile, right? I mean, do you have a support system here? Yeah, actually, all of my family is in Chile. I moved here by myself in 2021. And my supports here are definitely my boyfriend. And uh, I can still rely on the support of my family. My sister is one of my biggest supports, but of course she's really far away. So I can only chat with her. We can just uh, make a call and she supports me in the best way that she can. What advice do you have for someone who might be struggling with an eating disorder? If I could give one advice, it would be, even if you're not sure that you have an eating disorder, just by noticing that your relationship with food is broken, it's not what it used to be, please ask for help. I regret so much not asking for help in the first moment that I noticed that my relationship with with food was broken. I let 10 years of my life pass without asking for help. So my advice for someone that has that type of relationship with food, please ask for help. Even though you think you're by yourself in this world, you're never, you're never alone. You will have the support that you need. You will receive the help that you need. So just go for it and don't fear is the eating disorders make us be so fearful of everything, so fearful of telling the truth, so fearful of asking for help, thinking that we're a burden and we're not. Do you have a suggestion for someone who suspects a friend or loved one might be struggling? Yeah, definitely. I would uh, suggest that person to uh, be honest with the person that he su- suspects that has an eating disorder be honest and say like, hey, I'm here to support you. I'm here with you no matter what, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you think you wanna do in the future with this, I will be there to support you. And that will show the person that he's not alone or she's not alone. What do you most want listeners to understand about people who are coping with eating disorders? 
Something that um, actually I struggle with a lot, so I would love people to know this, is that eating disorders don't have a type of body. Don't There's not, as Josen said before, there is no type of body or type of person or nothing that shows that a person has an eating disorder. Because actually my body, it's not the body that that stereotype thinks that I need to have for having an eating disorder, you know? So I would love people to know that eating disorders do not discriminate. Lola, I'm so grateful for this conversation. Thank you. Of course. Lola Morales is a PhD candidate in astrophysics at Johns Hopkins University and a recovering alumna of the Renfrew Center, a clinic whose primary focus is treating eating disorders. We have more information at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>